we're wrapping our squeeze series, okay? For the, just a refresher. The whole squeeze series in this current season, if you're being squeezed, you want to carefully look at what's coming out, okay? Because self-awareness is a good thing, okay? Looking at what comes up helps you grow, helps you develop. And today I want to talk about one of my favorite uh, topics, which is anxiety. In this current season, um, if what's being squeezed out of you is anxiety, you're in the right place today. You know, I, I looked up some statistics about anxiety. According to the Anxiety and Depression Society of America, they said about 40 million adults in America struggle with some, t- some type of anxiety, uh, mental disorder. I see that number, I'm like, I don't buy it. I feel like it, we're, that's a gross underestimation of how many people deal with anxiety, especially in today's culture and, and, and climate. I think, my opinion is that anxiety is so prevalent in our culture today. It's so common in our culture today that it's like baseline to almost everybody. And we no longer even see it because we're so used to it. Okay, So instead of facing anxiety head on, we just learn to cope with it. Coping with anxiety. But the problem is anxiety is not to be coped with. Anxiety is something we need to have victory over. The Bible talks about anxiety and fear over and over again. So I want to first make the case about how toxic anxiety is. You might not even notice it anymore. I want to kind of alert you to it. First of all, when anxiety afflicts you, when you are attacked with anxiety, it drags you from fulfilling your calling. Anxiety lowers your motivation, lowers initiative. You take more energy, you get less done. It boggles your mind so you can't think and you can't create. Anxiety gives us health issues, headaches, and intestinal issues, and high blood pressure. I know for a season when I was dealing with bad anxiety, I would grind my teeth at night, and that leads all kind of other high dental bills, which I'll talk to you in a little bit. Um, anxiety, you might not notice this, but anxiety actually uh, opens doors to all kind of sin habits uh, because of bad coping mechanism. I know people who, to silence the voices of anxiety in their head, they turn to alcohol or drugs or pornography just to not deal with that. And anxiety also sabotages your relationship. How does it do that? Well, I would take my wife out on a date, and we'll be sitting in a restaurant, and we want to engage. I want to be present. I want to get into her life. I want to develop intimacy and pursue her. And all of a sudden, anxiety will afflict me. And I feel like Mr. Anxiety is sitting at the, the third wheel at our dinner table, and I can't help but try to worry about something I have no control over. Does that ever happen to you? It just sucks all the life out of intimacy because you're concerned, you're worried, you're preoccupied with something else that you shouldn't be. And that's just not relationship, just relationship with your spouse. It could be with your kids, and it could be your relationship with God. And the worst part about anxiety is it has the power to fulfill, self-fulfill negative prophecies uh, that deals with your worst fears. I gave the example in first service today. For example, if you're anxious about losing your job, okay, even though it's not real, no one's looking to fire you, but because you're anxious about it, you go to work, you're uninspired, you're distracted, you don't do a good job, you weren't going to lose your job before, but now, because your anxiety, you end up losing your job. Does that make sense? That type of stuff happens all the time. Anxiety creates negative realities. If you've been battling anxiety, if you, or you, if you are like me, who's been fighting anxiety basically my whole life, I have some good news for you. I want to talk about the practicalities of how you have victory over anxiety. But I want to start by sharing my, my experience, my testimony um, dealing with anxiety. You know, um, I was born a warrior, okay? 
Not like a warrior, like, oh, I'm going to war. Like a warrior, like someone who warriors a lot, okay? Um, you're like, wow, that's a bold statement. No, 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 no. Opposite of that. Um, I tend to think about details a lot. I tend to think uh, into the future a little bit too much, plan things out a little too much, which opens the door for me to be worried and which opens the door to anxiety. My first memory of anxiety was back in elementary school. I was born in Taiwan, grew up in Taiwan. And back, back in those days, um, to get into middle school, you have to take an entrance exam. So imagine taking like the SAT or the ACT exam just to get placement to middle school. So I remember all my peers in first grade were all playing, having fun. I'm there wondering like, oh, when is this test coming? What middle school, what terrible middle school am I going to get into? And then in third grade, my family immigrated to the United States and my anxiety got supercharged, okay? The reality is anxiety feeds on the unknown. And to me, as a third grader who doesn't know American culture, don't speak a lick of English, I couldn't tell you A from B from C to D. United States is one huge unknown. The language is unknown. The food is unknown. The friends are, or, or the people are unknown because I had no friends. The school is unknown. And I was overwhelmed with anxiety. From middle elementary school on, I basically create a comfort bubble of what I could understand, what I could control, which is very, very small, you know, for second, third grade kid. And I just lived in this bubble. I didn't do anything. I didn't venture out to push myself, to challenge myself, to make myself uncomfortable because it was just too much for me. And then even with all that, anxiety still took its toll. So by the time I went to high school, I had some real physical afflictions from anxiety. And um, I'm going to share this. My wife is like, do you really want to share this? I said, yes, I think I've been healed enough to actually share this. So what happened for me was in high school, um, during first period of every class, remember we used to have periods, I don't know if they still do that now, first period of every day of school, I would have terrible, terrible diarrhea and need to run to the bathroom. Like clockwork, first period every single day. Now somehow if I survived the second period, I was fine. I don't know how that works, but all night long, the night before, I would be churning and turning and nervous and anxious about the next day. And then because I was so nervous, I end up, then my stomach gets upset. And then when I go to the first period, I have to go to the bathroom. I mean, it was a terrible dilemma, terrible predicament I put myself in. And talk about the shame and the embarrassment of dealing with that every day for all four years of high school. I honestly don't know how I made it through high school. In the beginning, all my teachers thought it was a joke. But after a while, they're like, no, this is not a joke. I'm like, I was never laughing. This is terrible. Looking back at that experience, um, I saw the shame that I had. Shame not only because of my stomach issues, but the shame that I dealt with anxiety. You see, I was a Christian. My parents are pastors. I grew up in a Christian household. I knew all the promises of God. I knew that God loved me and cared for me, all these different things. But my reality was that I dealt with debilitating anxiety. Some of you might feel the same way. You know your, the promises of God. You've been in church your whole entire life. But, rea- but anxiety, the reality is anxiety is something you battle with. But you hide it because of shame, because you feel like if you tell people you deal with anxiety, it means you're a bad Christian or you don't have faith and all these different things. Shame, shame, shame. You're pathetic. You're weak. All these things that get in your head. I want to tell you, shame fuels the power of anxiety. The more shame you have, the greater the whole anxiety has on your life. So the first step, the first step is just kind of just like what I'm doing. Admit to everybody that I battle with anxiety. Now, fast forward two decades later, 
in 2014, my oldest son, Nehemiah, was born. January 2014. And I remember holding my newborn son, my first child, in my arm, just enjoying being a new father, enjoying my son. While I was holding my son, I felt the familiar crawl of the devil, that familiar voice of anxiety crawling through my brain, coming up over my brain. The same anxiety I haven't felt in decades crawling into me and basically saying, I am going to torment my son, your son, like I tormented you all my life. He says, you cannot take care of your son. In this crazy world we live in, you're not going to be able to take care of him. You're not going to be able to protect him. I am going to torment him like I tormented you. I mean, that was a very real uh, experience for me. I still remember it. And for the next five or six years now, I've been battling this newfound, this upgraded form of anxiety. And this battle has been the battle of my life. But I have learned, God has taught me so many lessons about combating, facing anxiety, demystifying anxiety, finding out what the root of anxiety is. And I want to share this with you. The first step is this. We need to make sure we're not distracted with the external things. Okay. Whenever we look at anxiety, a lot of times it's triggered by different things. It might be triggered by the news. It might be triggered by your spouse. It might be triggered by your kids. It might be triggered by your boss. And the temptation is when you deal with anxiety is to focus on the external. If I only made more money, then I wouldn't be anxious. Okay? If I only get a new job, I wouldn't be anxious. If I only fix my car, I wouldn't be anxious. Now, there's an element of truth to that because those issues are very real. Okay? But if you look outside, if you focus only on the outside, you will only get a temporary relief, okay, when that issue is resolved. You're not really dealing with the root of anxiety. Are you guys ready for the root of anxiety? It's not rocket science. It's actually very simple. The root of anxiety is that we lack faith. We lack faith. John Piper is a theologian like to read. He, read, he talks about anxiety in his book, uh, Future Grace. He mentions Matthew 6, 30. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much clothe you, you of little faith? So very simple. How do you have victory over anxiety? Grow your faith. That's it. Seems very simple, right? Well, to me, this is very simple, but very, very difficult. See, there's, again, a label of lack of faith. And I was telling my, talking to my wife, I said, I don't know the last time I talked to any Christians and the conversation goes like this. You know what? I'm really lacking in faith. I want to grow my faith. I just don't hear people talk about that. I still believe there is stigma surrounding the fact that we don't want to admit that we need to grow our faith or we lack faith. Again, you feel like you're a bad Christian. You feel like you're terrible. You're admitting something embarrassing and shameful. Can we just again admit that shame does not help anything? Shame fuels power to anxiety. I kind of want to dispel this fact about shame, feeling shame about uh, growing our faith. When we are squeezed, okay, when anxiety, the affliction of anxiety is upon us and we'll reveal that our faith is weak, what is our response? Do we hide our head in shame? Do we cover up and pretend it's not there? Or do we embrace the fact that we get to grow our faith? I want to share a story um, that I shared in the podcast that Pastor Ron and I did. Uh, Pastor Ron and I have a podcast we do. Uh, he, we release it Thursday. Uh, you want to check it on his Facebook page, on the church Facebook page. But this past two weeks, we did something on uh, the concept of the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, which I'm not going to get into today, but you guys should definitely listen to it because that concept has changed my trajectory of my life. 
But I shared this story about me going to work out with a couple guys, Jason and Sean. And I work out with these two guys. And, um, and one day I was texting them. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to meet at the Y. We go to the Y down in Crown Point. And they say, yeah, we're going to meet at the gym and we're going to do the Murph workout today. And for those who don't know what the Murph workout, the Murph workout is designed by a Navy SEAL. He's a war hero. His name's Murph. And you run a mile, you do 300 squats, 200 push-ups, and 100 pull-ups, and then you run another mile, and you do as quick as you can, okay? So they said, we're doing the Murph workout today. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I just want to come in fellowship. I don't want to throw up. So, but, you know, positive peer pressure, so drag my body, drag my corpse to the Y, walk in there, and they're already doing it. So I'm like, all right, I'll run my mile, and then I'm there doing push-up and sit-up. Two sets in, I'm dying. I am dying. I'm sweating. I'm choking up blood. I'm like, this is, this is not, san- I mean, it was just terrible, okay? And, um, and they're almost done. I'm halfway through, and Sean was like, just do half. I'm like, yeah, I'll just do half. Yeah, no problem. I'll just take it easy and do half. So I did half, and they did the whole thing, and then we're going to run the last mile. You know, that track at the Y, we're going to run that last mile together. So we start running, and again, they did the whole thing. I only did half. So I should have more energy running that last mile. And they're blowing by me. And I did one of those runs that if you looked at me, you're like, that guy's not running. But I'm running as hard as I can. (laughs) You know, I swear, I think there was like three, like a little girl who kind of just strolled past me (laughs) casually. I'm running as hard as I can, and, and the whole time, but the, what's going on in my mind is the whole time I'm rationalizing. I'm thinking, why am I so weak? It must be because I didn't sleep well last night. Yeah, that must be it. I think my son woke up a couple times and I didn't sleep well. Oh, it must be because I didn't eat breakfast. That must be the reason why. I mean, I kept digging about all the reasons why I was so weak. I was so tired. I even went there. I was like, it's because I'm old. That's why. <laughs> I'm old. Those guys are young. I'm old, you know. No, they're just really in shape. It's not that I'm in bad shape. They're just really in shape. And just make up all these reasons. And then it occurred to me, I'm having a victim's mentality. I'm having a fixed mindset. And I had to confess to the fact, you know the reason why I'm weak? It's because I am weak. (laughs) The reason I'm out of shape is because I'm out of shape. Is that rocket science? Why is it so hard for me to just simply admit that? It's because our mentality wants to rationalize and cover it up. But if I could see the Murph as the squeeze I needed for me to realize how out of shape I am, then I can embrace that and have more initiative to go and work out and get in shape. Does that make sense? But the problem with anxiety is when we're faced with anxiety and when we realize that it's a lack of faith, we often hide. We rationalize. We blame everyone else. We blame this and this instead of looking inside and say, hey, it's time for me to get in shape. Faith is similar to your muscles, okay? You know, I've, I've been going to the Y a lot, and I realize not everyone goes to the Y to work out, okay? I don't know if you guys seen it. <laughs> There's people who go to the Y to check their emails to get smoothies, if people go to the Y just to watch people work out or just to hang out, you know, they walk around between machines, socialize, get a drink of water, maybe go pick up a five pound and then pull it back and go talk some more. (laughs) And we all realize that you can hang out in the Y all you want, you can talk with people, socialize in the Y all you want, unless you actually are sweating, unless you're being stressed, you're being pushed, you are not going to grow, Right? But for some reason, we think if we hang out in the church long enough, we go to Bible study long enough, 
or maybe we even grew up in a Christian household, we got great godly parents, somehow we're supposed to have great faith, even though you never got down and dirty and got stretched. This is the, see, I'm preaching to myself right now. Amen. I grew up with godly parents, with great faith, but that was not inherited directly to me. Now I have their influence, but you know what? I had to go through my own junk. I had to trust God. I had to face my own anxiety for me to learn to have faith. But for some reason, when we've never been processed to grow our faith and when we're hit, when we dawn upon our reality that we struggle with anxiety and lack of faith, we get shocked. We're like, whoa, what's going on? How could I not have faith? Instead of owning up to it and letting the anxiety be a wake-up call for us to grow our faith. I want to pinpoint one more thing. In our current culture, our current American culture, you know, people say, I don't know if I agree, but people say America is one of the, American adults is one of the most overweight adults in the world. People say that because of all the modern conveniences, right? We drive, computers, blah, blah, blah. We don't really need to do all these different things. I would argue it's the same way for our faith in America. You don't need to exercise your faith day in, day out in America today. Amazon Prime, two-day delivery. You don't need faith. Two days and better get there. If it's not there by the third day, you're going to call Jeff Bezos yourself and be like, hey, my diapers get here yesterday. I mean, that's the, that's the culture we live in. It's not conducive for us to exercise our faith. As opposed to, say, like Christians in China or India, in which every day they're just like, they're, they're, they're working, they're bench pressing faith every day when the government's coming down and threatening your faith every day. So, once again, anxiety, wake up call exercise your faith. Hope that's clear. So are you guys ready to get down and dirty and exercise your faith? To work out your faith? I'm going to make it super practical and super simple. I'm going to talk about three different ways I have learned to practically grow your faith. Okay? The first one is this. Meditate on the promises of God. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Psalm 119, 148. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. See, meditation is not sexy. Meditation is rarely taught, okay? When we think meditation, we think like this mythical, weird, new agey, whatever, whatever. But I'm telling you, meditation is a biblical um, discipline that we need to strongly embrace, because this stuff really works. Here's the principle behind meditation. It doesn't matter what you think you know. It doesn't matter what you think you believe in. If you allow yourself to hear a certain message over and over again, you open your hearts to that message over and over again, this message will overtake you. That's the power of meditation and repetition. I'll give you an example. Even though I know theologically that God's my provider, but if I put myself in an environment in which all I hear is doom and gloom, negativity, the world's going to burn, this is going to go bad, blah, 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 blah. I am going to be depressed and I am going to be anxious. It's just going to be my reality. Does that make sense? So the first step is to recognize the power of meditation and then we need to slow down. You know, in our get things done culture, checklist culture, this, 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 this. When is the last time you slow down and you meditate on the deep truth of God's word and his promises. Look at what Jesus says in, in Luke 12. 
Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storehouse or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. In verse 27, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, all his splendor was dressed like one of these. This is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here tomorrow and tomorrow thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? See, to me, Jesus is literally saying, Slow down and smell the roses. Slow down and look at the birds who's taking care of them. Think deeply about these truths. See, but the problem is we're so familiar with these Bible verses, we just kind of glance over them and never let the truth of these things sink into our hearts and to our spirits. Look, I will be real. The meditation part, okay, it's so hard in our culture today. Because we have collectively, as a culture, trained our brain, okay, to go from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing to another thing. I mean, we have the attention span of a squirrel. I'm not even just talking about kids. I'm talking about adults, right? Social media, smartphone, we're always checking this, checking that. And all this short attention span is sabotaging our faith. We don't have the ability or the endurance to focus on anything for a long period of time. See, my thing is, this is killing our faith collectively, even in the church in America. Because when we don't have the ability to truly focus on one thing, we become reactive. We're reacting to this news, reacting to this opinion, reacting this, 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 and this. We never have the time or the focus to take the word of God as our foundation and make that steady, so make that our foundation so that out of that foundation, we can react to the world. Does that make sense? So when you take away the ability to focus and to slow down, we lose our faith. So this is not sexy. I get it, meditation, but this works. You know, I've been meditating on that verse about God saying, Jesus saying, hey, look at the birds. If I'll take care of the birds. How much more I'll take care of you? The other day, two days ago, Thursday, I went shopping, grocery shopping with my wife. And we're in, we're in the we're in Jewel parking lot. So she went shopping. I'm in the car waiting for her. And I just got some news about some business transaction I'm trying to work on. It's delays, pushback, and I'm starting to feel anxiety rising up in me again. And then I saw a bird. And I thought, man, there's a bird there. If God <laughs> could take care of this bird, he can take care of me. I was like, whoa, where did that come from? Oh, it must be that Bible verse I've been meditating on and working on. I'm like, wow, this meditation stuff really works. See, the truth is that most of the time when I'm anxious, when I'm squeezed, what comes out is frustration and anger and ah. But this time, this Bible verse came out of me. I'm like, I'm going to meditate some other verses and see what comes out. I'm telling you, try me. Try me or your money back. This is going to work. Meditate on the things you want to meditate on. And when you're squeezed, that's what's going to come out. So the first step for building your faith is meditate on the promises of God. Here's number two, vote for the promises of God. I'm not talking about the 2020 election, at least not today. I want to talk about the vote you take every single day. I've been reading this book um, called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, It's not necessarily a spiritual book, but it has a lot of principle I really enjoy. And the purpose of the book is to help you develop good habits, okay? So we all want good habits, right? So... The, one of the ideas is this, I thought it was very interesting. He says, uh, often when we focus on a good habit or say we want to get in shape, okay, we focus on something external, external goal, like lose 10 pounds. 
But he says focusing on the external goal to have long-lasting change often doesn't happen. He said instead what we ought to do is focus on something internal, an internal identity change. And out of that identity change, you progressively act out small steps towards who you want to be. And that will actually change you in the long run, okay? I love that concept, okay? So what he's saying is instead of you losing 10 pounds and focus on losing 10 pounds, you go to the restaurant, okay, and the, the waiter hands you a menu. You think to yourself, what would a healthy person order? And then you have a choice right there. You can either choose to order like a healthy person or choose to order like you used to order, okay? So he called this voting. You can either vote for your new self or who you used to be. Another example, if you're going to the elevator, you're about to hit the elevator button, you're thinking, hmm, what would a healthy person do? You have a choice. A healthy person will probably take the stairs. So you have a choice there. He's not talking about your feelings. He's talking about your choice. So you choose to take the stairs or you choose to take the elevator. You get to vote for who you want to be. If you take enough votes, you take on the new identity. Does that make sense? I really, really love this because I believe the biblical principle is that God wants us to change our behavior out of changing our identity. Identity first, then behavior. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then later, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. So he lays out the fact that we have changed our identity first. Then we can go and do these things, okay? Not the other way around. So what does this have to do with our faith and exercising our faith? So I'm going to show you what this looks like. I got this little scale here to demonstrate. So I'll bring this back again. So there's two identities I'm battling with, okay, in terms of my anxiety. On one side, I call this guy Anxious Andrew, okay. I've been voting for Anxious Andrew my whole life for four, almost four decades, Okay. Anxious Andrew is only comfortable, only relaxed around things he understands, things he can control, things he can see. Okay. Anything beyond that little bubble causes him anxiety. He's like, ah, freaking out. Okay. I don't really like Anxious Andrew, but I'm very familiar with him. I think like them. I smell like him. I look like him. Okay. This is my primary identity. But then you got this new Andrew, faithful Andrew, who I want to be. Now, faithful Andrew loves Jesus. He trusts God. He believes God is his provider. Faithful Andrew trusts that his kids don't belong to him. They belong to the Lord. All these things I want, right? But faithful Andrew is very unfamiliar. I don't really, I don't smell like him. I don't look like him. Uh, I don't think like him. I don't feel like him, okay? So here's what happens. Years and years, I've been voting for anxious Andrew. But now... I'm trying to establish this new identity that the Bible says I am, okay? So every time anxiety hits, I have an opportunity to vote for anxious Andrew or I can vote for the new Andrew, okay? I'm going to give you some real-life scenarios, okay? Just the other day, I was at my office, and I was on Facebook trying to post something, and I saw a news feed from somebody pop up, and this news feed starts to trigger some anxiety, I'm starting to feel like, oh, man, this world's crazy. How am I going to raise kids in this crazy world? And I start going down that dark path. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? That dark path of I can't control it, uh, blah, 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 dark forces, whatever, just negative things. What anxious Andrew would do that moment 
would, I will keep reading, keep reading. In fact, I will Google this topic and read even more about it, try to control it through reading it. I don't know. But just in my own way, try to control it. I will lose productivity the whole day because I'm anxious, I'm annoyed, and I'm just there. I'm lost. That's anxious Andrew. But I thought to myself, what would faithful Andrew do at that moment? Faithful Andrew will exercise his choice to use a mouse and click on the little X button and close that window. And faithful Andrew will say to yourself, okay, what does the Bible say about this? Okay, God is in control, not the government, not Supreme Court, not God's in control. And then I will move on with my day and do the things I'm supposed to do. So in that moment, I voted for new Andrew. Another day, just happened a couple days ago, this really happened, my wife was there, you can ask her, I got a bill, or I got a letter from my dental insurance, basically said to me, hey, you know that procedure you had three months ago, that was really expensive, that we said we're going to pay for half of it? Just kidding, we're not going to pay for half of it. You're going to pay for the whole thing yourself, and we're not going to give you a reason why. That's my paraphrase. Saw the letter, I had a choice to become faithful Andrew, but instead, I totally forgot faithful Andrew, kicked him to the curb. I revert back to anxious Andrew, and I got really nervous, really anxious. I'm like, oh, how am I going to pay for this, blah, blah, blah. Voted for old guy. I'm going to share another experience I had. Uh, I, got, I got a call from a buddy saying, hey, this deal, we're trying to sell this house. Deal fell through. After months and months, the deal fell through. The next day, I was supposed to go purchase some wood because I was going to build a deck. I know the Lord told me to go and build that deck. The Lord told me to do that. But now, because the deal fell through, I don't feel like buying those wood. I don't feel like buying those wood. Okay? I'm like, I don't have any money. I can't do this. Anxious Andrew was about to take over. So I had enough wisdom to call up Tim Duluka right there and say, hey, Tim, I'm not feeling so good right now. Talk some truth into me. Preach at me. Tell me what I said about myself before. So Tim started reassuring me. He started to remind me the truth that God's trying to teach me. This is how it works. This is how the body of Christ works. I know I feel like this right now. Tell me the truth. Hey, God's got your back. This is about faith. This is about trust. God's process. He's teaching you. So the next day, I didn't feel like it. I still felt a little knot in my stomach. But Sean and I went to Menards and we got some wood. Well, for this guy. You see this process? It's not magical. It's not shortcuts. It's very practical. Right? You just keep voting. And some days you vote for the wrong guy. Some days you vote for the right guy. But I want to remind you, in an election, you don't need 100% of the vote to win, do you? You just need one more vote than 50%. See, we think building faith is so mythical. No, building faith is practical. You walk it out. So every day you vote, you vote a little bit more, you vote a little bit more, you keep investing in who you want to be, nothing's happening, you go to bed, you still feel the anxiety, you feel like nothing's changing, you keep voting, you keep voting, don't get stuck on me, keep voting. And then one day, just in one day, all of a sudden you got your breakthrough. I want to ask you, this last quarter I put in, was this last quarter magical? Was it especially heavy? No, it's not about this last quarter. It's about day after day of voting for who you want to be. A lot of times we get our breakthrough. You went to this conference. You're like, the conference magical. I got my breakthrough. No, you've been working on your breakthrough for years and years and years. You just don't see what's happening. That's what faith is. That's what building faith looks like. I want to encourage you guys. If you want to grow your faith, you have to exercise faith. 
I got this because I want to demonstrate to you, we as a church are no longer building our faith. This is crucial. To get down and dirty, you have to vote for who, the identity that God has called you to be. Okay, does this make sense? I want this to resonate in your head. In four minutes, I'm going to talk about point number three, which is just as important. So you meditate on the promises of God. You vote for the promises of God. And number three, you make sure you qualify for the promises of God. In Luke 29, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. Romans 8, 28, we know in all things God worked for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You know, the promise of God, according to two, these two verses, have qualifiers. Have qualifiers. In other words, God's saying, when you seek first my kingdom, when you live for my purpose, then all your needs will be taken care of. See, the Lord spoke to me the other day. I was anxious. I was battling anxiety, specifically about today's sermon. I was in the field walking, trying to, get, trying to meditate on the promise of God. And God said this to me, clear as day. He said to me, tell my people this. The cure to anxiety is this. You have to give yourself fully to my kingdom. 100% don't hold anything back. Think about this for a second. If you truly are sold out to God, you hold nothing back. There's no secret sin. There's no little pocket that you held back from him. Is there really anything we need to be anxious about? When we are about our father's business, then we are on his dime. It's his job to pay for our travel expenses, our living expenses, to make sure we have a place to stay, to make sure our needs are met. And I think instinctively we understand that. And that's why I think many of us are anxious because deep in our hearts we know we still have that little pocket that we say, Lord, you can have everything else, but I'm keeping that little pocket to myself. I'm speaking to myself now. And this tension between what we know we should do and what we actually do, okay, this tension is causing such anxiety in us because we know God will not bless our agenda, but he's 100% going to bless his agenda. And you know the reason why you're holding things back from God is because we lack faith. It goes full circle. It's because we lack faith. You wonder, if you're like me, you wonder, if I give my whole life 100% follow Jesus, will I miss out on the pleasures of this life? Will my kids suffer? Will I suffer? Will I need to change? Will I be inconvenienced? Will I need to get out of my comfort zone? Will I need to stop my secret sin habits? Will I need to be vulnerable? Maybe, I don't know. But faith says this, the cost of not giving God 100% is so much greater than the temporary inconveniences of being 100% sold out for Jesus. The bottom line is this, many of us still struggle with anxiety because our life is still too much about us. And the solution is very simple, simple but not easy. Surrender all your life to him. All your hurts, your fear, your dreams, your hopes, surrender to him. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. He's saying, if you really want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. You have to die. But I want to encourage you. If you're afflicted with anxiety today, 
You know, when you, when you die to yourself, you know what else dies? Your anxiety also dies. Then you can be truly free. In this crazy season we live in right now, when we are squeezed from all sides, what is coming out of you? Anxiety, fear, shame. Use it. Use it. Let the Lord process you with all these different things. Use it to meditate on the promises of God. Dig out those scriptures that you knew in your youth, but you no longer think about. Meditate on them. Put them on your mirror. Put it on your dashboard. Put it on your computer. Meditate on them. Vote for the promise of God. Be faithful and steady and say, hey, I want to choose to vote for the identity, for the faithful person that God's called me to be. And then make sure you are qualified. Search your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to look inside of you and say, what areas have I not fully surrendered to you, God? Release that to him. Make sure you are qualified for the promises of God. You know, God's grown. God wants to grow you. God wants to grow us as a church. Okay? Those two things I know for sure. What I don't know for sure is do you want to grow? Do you truly want your faith to grow? Do you truly want to get down and dirty and get stretched and have pains and hurts in your knees and have to face yourself in the mirror and say, I need to grow? Do you have the courage to do this? And we're here to encourage you to lock arms with you like what Tim did for me. We're here to lock arms with each other in the midst of this battle to say, you can do it. I'm going to help you grow in your faith. Amen. You guys ready to do this together? I want to encourage you. Hey, man, that's not play Christianity. That's not play religion. This battle for faith has been the, the, the toughest battle of my life, day-to-day grind. But it's been so rewarding. Okay, but this is real. Let's do this for real. Hey, marriage class, 4 o'clock today. Nothing changes. If you guys need prayer, if you're battling anxiety, you want someone to pray with, you need someone to encourage you, please come up for We'd love to pray with you. Have an awesome Sunday. Go grow your faith today. Amen.